Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. I am really, really excited to get into today's message. Uh, it is near and dear to my heart, but is also, as I said, probably one of the most difficult things I've had to talk about ever. Um, so last week we started a new sermon series titled Going Back to Better Than Normal. Hopefully you were able to hear that. If you didn't, um, you can go onto our YouTube page, also our website. It'll have the video of, of where we ha- um, recorded our sermon and streamed it live. Um, and like you, I have, I've seen all the memes. I've heard the cliches and I don't want to just, you know, I'm trying to navigate my, my life and family in the best way possible. And so all jokes aside, you know, there's, there's opinions over this virus and the economy and, and what's going to happen and what may not happen or what didn't happen. And, but, but at the end of all that, I feel like the Lord has given us an opportunity through all this that we can choose if we go back to just the way things were or if we take this as a blessing and as a gift and say, God, what are you trying to strip away from my life? What things were you trying to speak to me that you even wanted to change? What pace of life even were you adjusting for me? What priorities were you reprioritizing in my heart and also in my habits? And I think that we can take this as a gift and discern the spiritual hour and not just return back to normal as we started last week talking about, but we can go back to something that was better than what it was before. That our communication with our family could be in a different way, but better than it was before. That with my staff at work, that our relationships are deeper because we've been more transparent and honest about the things that we're going through. We've been, um, we've been more vulnerable and real and we've seen each other in a new light walking through something with faith, not fear. And that we could go back to something with our teams at work, with our, um, with our employer and our boss in a way that we have a different perspective. And I hope that you're discerning that what God is doing may be different for you than someone else. That what God is doing in your heart, by all means, share it with others, but don't expect him to be doing the exact same thing in the person sitting next to you right now or the one that you work with or the individual even in your own household that you're watching from online with right now. I want, I want to encourage transformation and growth, but not uniformity in what the Lord is doing in our hearts. I don't want to encourage conformity to what God is doing in my life, but instead conformity to the image of Christ, which is what he's doing in all of our lives. And based on how he has uniquely designed and created you, that is going to be tailored and fit for your individual personality and who he's created you to be and the purpose he's called you to fulfill. And so I don't know about you, but we have to extend ourselves some grace. Grace to ourselves to embrace what God is doing. Grace to the other, to our spouses, to our friends, to our family members, to our coworkers. Grace to allow the Lord to continue to do in them what he has started. And that it doesn't have to look like what he's doing in each of us. And so I don't... I don't know what relationships you can compare this to at times, but for me, I think one of the most difficult ones that I sometimes want to transform someone else to my image is in marriage. Um, you know, if, if I've got probably the most patient wife ever, Candy, if you can be too patient to a fault, then that would be her. Uh, but she is so patient. If she tried to conform me to her image or what she wanted me to be, first of all, it wouldn't work for a variety of reasons. One, I'm really stubborn and hard-headed. 
not just some of the time, but most of the time. But, but if she tried to do that, it, it just, it wouldn't even take root. It wouldn't, I wouldn't be transformed to what she wanted me to be for the right reasons. And sometimes that happens in, in unhealthy relationships. You see transformation occur and you see changes happen, but it wasn't out of mutuality. It wasn't out of respect for one another. It wasn't out of freedom for one another. Instead, it was out of dominion and, and, and it was out of just an unhealthy dynamic in that relationship. And the Lord wants to do something in each of us that is unique. And he wants us to do it because we are created in his image, but yet we also bear his image in different ways. So while his image is very, very clear through scripture, we get to represent an aspect of his image in different ways because he created us in his image, male and female. And immediately we see that his image is in diversity, not in uniformity. And so today, as we continue in this, in this topic, I want us to talk about the heart transformation, as I mentioned last week, that he's wanting to do, that he is already doing, but it's going to require some habit transformation as well. What did I mean by that? I mean that what the Lord is doing right here has to also have some things that we change in our routines in order to sustain what he's doing in here. So for instance, for me, the first couple of weeks of, of quarantine, quote unquote, it was a, a breath of fresh air. I don't know what it was like for you. There was a, sure the uncertainty of what is happening and how long will it last? And will I know someone that gets uh, COVID-19 and um, how will my parents get through this? I want to do their shopping for them. You know, they're in that vulnerable population, things like that. Absolutely. But there was this idea of a fresh break. And there were some things that the Lord began to speak to me in my heart about how I found my identity and my work and my performance and my busyness and the Lord began to just show me some things that he was trying to slow down for me, that this could be a gift for me. And But there's some things that as he's speaking to my heart, I knew I was going to have to make some changes in my life. That if I just went back to, and that's my greatest fear now, is that if I just go back to what always was, that it will actually cause me to undo some of the things that he had started doing in my heart. Because if my habits don't support what he's doing in my heart, then it won't be sustained. And that's the same for you and for me. And so he's doing a new thing right now. And, and uh, that, was, that was probably one of my favorite, just a sidebar, probably the only funny thing I'm going to talk about today is my favorite rap song as a kid. And I don't know who you followed uh, when you were growing up, but for me, it was DC Talk, right? And it was before they went alternative. And it was DC Talk when they were still into rap. And, and Bruce, if you can throw up there that, that album that they had called New Thing, I think I've got an image of it. Oh yeah, God is doing a, who, who knew that? BJ? Was that you? Yeah, oh, come on now. I love it. So I knew if you've not heard this song, you need to Google and find this on YouTube. God is doing a brand new thing. It's called New Thing. And I knew every single word. I had the cassette and I would rewind it back to the beginning of this tape, that, that cut on the, on the cassette and listen to it over and over. If, if I could have worn out a cassette, it would have been this one. I was sad to see that after this album, they went alternative and Jesus Freak came out and, and I just wasn't as big of a fan. I just wasn't. I love, I love DC Talk, but rap was my thing with them. And so I want you to watch this funny video because this could have been me. This performance, you may have seen, you may remember, but this could have been me. And you can watch this and enjoy this. Boys and girls, the Lord Jesus Christ is mm, the one. Hair 
who gives us new life and he's doing a new thing for us. Get always doing it. God is doing a new thing. Get always doing it. God is doing a new thing. You know he's doing it. He's doing a new thing. You know he's doing it. Yo, he's doing it. God is doing a new thing. My God is doing a brand new thing. Since time begins, he remains the same. Faithful forever to his word and silent. I know every word. And you'll find God doesn't change, but he knows the time. From harp, piano, the song to rap, you know. God's with us, so we cannot lack So God is doing a new thing in our life. You got a little, got a little weak there. All right, you can cut it out. <laughs> so I knew every word of this song. I knew the inflections, the grunts, the uhs. The, I knew everything that was coming up. That was my jam. But the point is, is today God is doing something new in our lives. And we want to give him freedom to do that. That what he is doing right now, it, it isn't about us going back to what used to be. I hope for your sake and for the sake of what God has given us. I've heard the quote before that it would be a shame for us to waste a good crisis. It would be a shame for us to waste the moment that the Lord has put us in. Did he cause this? By no means do I believe that. Is he still allowing us to journey through this? Absolutely. And he is, has he abandoned us? Never. He is always with us. He is faithful. He's never forsaken us. But it would be a shame for us to, to waste this moment of opportunity of transformation that we will never be able to go back and regain to trust him with our finances when we thought job insecurity was on the line, to trust him with our 401ks, which I don't know about yours. I just stopped looking at what mine was doing because it wasn't positive and I can't control it. To, to trust him with the fact that, I, you know what, who am I going to be around? I'm going to do my best. I'm going to follow what I think is wisdom and common sense and, and wear masks when I'm shopping and hand sanitize. And, but I can't control the outcomes of what, what happens in my life, but I can trust him who can. And so he's doing a new thing and, and he's doing something in our hearts that I hope that when we come into his presence, whether it's here during worship services or it's at home or in your car, that when we encounter him, the residue in our lives is going to be as a result of what he is doing. This new thing, he is the redeemer. He is the restorer. He is the renewer of all things in our life. That is who he is. And so I want to talk about some of the common things though, while it is unique and parlayed individually to each one of us, I want to talk about some of the common things that the Lord has in store for all of us. Because we know what the fruit of the spirit are, that when the spirit is at work in our lives, we will see his love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We will see his work in our hearts. We will see his, his work in our lives. And it is so difficult if you try to squeeze out some of that fruit in the flesh. It is so difficult when we try to do that on our own, but instead we allow the Lord to do it and it becomes a true work, a work of the Spirit. And so we know that there are moral laws in place in all of our lives though because of who God is. And I wanna talk about some of the things that we will represent in our lives as a result of who God is today. And so I don't know how you look at scripture, but for me, it all comes back to a foundational aspect that God is revealing who he is and thus who he has created me to be in reflection of him. And so everything I understand about God and who he is comes back to that imago Dei, that image of God. 
In the image of God, for me, it defines everything else. It defines the rest of Scripture. It defines morality. It defines even eternity for me. So let me just briefly mention how, how the image of God relates to how I understand Scripture. And so the rest of Scripture is then written through this lens of understanding that we were created and in in his image, to bear his image, and that everything that we see at the beginning is how he is showing us who he is and our design to reflect him. And then we have the fall, and it is all in response to to restore that image and to redeem us to a relationship where we can bear that image that we were created for. It was all about who God is and who we were created to represent his likeness. And for morality in the sense that rather than understanding, I don't, I don't see the scripture telling me a set of do's and don'ts or rights and wrongs as much as it boiling down to what is wrapped up in his image and his likeness. And so even the way that I perceive uh, the law is an aspect of understanding God communicating to me what he is like and how he has called us to be set apart. It all comes back to the Imago Dei, to the image of God. And I'm relieved of the burden of performing, of doing, of even sliding into my purpose as a created being because of his image. And it comes down to not what I do, but to who I am, to being. And there's this freedom to be who he's called me to be because I don't have to do something to earn his pleasure or to become loved and a child of God. But instead, I respond from what I know, encountering God, that know, be, do, he can't get away from it. When I know him, when I see him for who he is, I begin to be who he's called me to be. And then out of that comes a life that pleases him and a life that follows him. And so all of morality, from the law to the teachings of Christ, to the stories of the Old Testament, to me, they all reflect for me the prism of his image, the Imago Dei. And so his image, though, for me, is better than normal. Because when I look around what is happening in my world and in your world, I don't really want that to be my normal. I want something better than that. And what does that look like? I hope we can see it in God's image and we can see one another as he has created us in his image. And so eternity is the same way. I see eternity written through his image. For me, I don't see a heaven that exists apart from a hell that maybe he also created for those that would be damned there. I don't see it that way. I see heaven where he dwells and where he lives and where he is who he was, who he always was and who he created to us to be in his presence. But I see a place that is absent of him. I see a place of torment that is void of where he lives, dwells, and has his being. And that is a place where we distort who he created us to be, and we can't dwell in his presence because we have marred his image within ourselves and not accepted his restoration, his redemption, to see his image born in us again and thus spend eternity with him because he dwells with himself. He dwells in his likeness. He dwells with that which is like him because he is holy and he created us to be in his presence and through his love, we have access through forgiveness through Christ. But the absence, if you think that hell was created for a specific person or possibly a fallen being that came out of heaven, to me, it is because of his image that it is the absence of him. It is torment and Jesus puts it in such painted pictures of a fiery place that is 
that for me, that is just the absence of where God is, that it would be utter torment and no mind could even conceive. Like we could not conceive heaven. We could not conceive the absence of where God is. We could not conceive hell. We could never imagine that. But for me, eternity is in the light of who he is, his Imago Dei. And so with this foundation of understanding our original design, our original purpose, it helps us gauge and perceive what is he doing now? What is he doing in this hour? And I want to go back to something that is better than normal. I want to go back to something with a better perspective. And today I want to talk about some things that I typically would not do. I wouldn't respond to current events, usually in my message, as much as I am today. And this is probably the most difficult sermon I will ever preach, at least up to this point in my life. There are so many different perspectives on what is happening in our country right now. There are so many different perspectives on the hundreds of years that have led up to what is happening today. And I'm going to stick very closely to my notes so I don't err from into some of my opinions and away from some of the things that I believe the Lord has given me. Today, I want us to talk about some of the things that are happening in our nation. As many of you know, on February 23rd, an African-American young man went for a jog and he didn't come home. He didn't make it home because he was assessed as a threat, as someone who had been breaking into uh, to facilities in the in this neighborhood that were being built under construction. Regardless of the details and what nuances we want to play in that story, he didn't come home and he should have. He was racially profiled. And over two and a half months go by until someone's arrested, even though they knew who did it. And in New York, just started out this week, a lady lets her dog off the it's leash in an area that's clearly marked. And in fact, I watched the video. You, she's standing right by the sign that says, keep your dog on a leash. <laughs> but a African-American gentleman, good looking, well-spoken, probably more intelligent than I am based on how I perceive his, his, his persona. Just a smart man. He asked her because he's a bird watcher and it was a bird watcher section of the Central Park there in New York City. And he asked her to put her back on his leash and she begins to walk towards him and he is recording this. And But I wonder what would have happened had it not been recorded because there's plenty of issues here in Knoxville that have happened that were never on camera and there's still no one arrested and um, abuses of authority like what we saw in Minnesota this week, which you can't, you can't get away from it. We can't not talk about the fact that what happened to George Floyd should have not happened. Whether it was an abuse of authority, whether it was racism, we have to admit that our nation has a problem and it's systemic. And I remember, I remember the first time that I first was challenged with this idea of white supremacy. Oh, it irritated me. Are you kidding? I didn't, I didn't choose to be born in this color skin. And I'm not racist. My best friend in kindergarten, I went to Chihuahua and he was black. I'm not racist. I had a hard time though admitting that I am born with privilege in this nation just because of the color of my skin. I had a hard time admitting that as a man, I have different opportunities and different pay scales than even a woman of the same color as my skin. I had a hard time admitting that there was injustice surrounding me, even though I didn't feel like it was inside me. 
And that if I stayed silent, that I was just as much a part of complying. I had a hard time with that. When people who had young African-American men who had graduated from Harvard at a conference that I was at in Memphis challenged me with this thought after Ferguson had just happened with the Black Lives Matter movement, which I'm not talking about their organization and what they stand for, but the fact that white people had an issue when they heard the, the term Black Lives Matter. And they would just say that all lives matter, just like I had at times. Well, nobody's saying that your life doesn't matter when we say black lives matter. And I had a hard time with that. I had to wrestle with these things and it irritated me. And I went home and I said, God, I, I don't think I'm racist. I don't think that I see people differently. I have a biracial daughter now and I think about what it's going to be like raising her. Will people treat her differently than they do my Caucasian daughter? Will she get different opportunities just because of the way that she looks and what boxes are checked on a form. I wrestle with these things. And I hope all of us do in some regard because God's wanting his image to be born in everything that we do. And if the church remains silent, then we're not helping the cause of justice that he is asking us to be a part of. This is not going to be a ear tickler or a, offering increaser. This is not because I am looking to, I don't know if I'll have a job after this sermon. Let's just be honest. <laughs> I'm going to stick with scripture, but I'm going to also share my experience. I want to be self-reflective. I don't want to push mine on you, but I want us to look at what the Lord would have us do. I know what it is like to look over your shoulder when you walk through a store, but only because I've done something wrong. I know what it's like to wonder if the clerk and the attendant in that store is going to catch me because I did something I shouldn't have. I've had those experiences in my past, but I've never walked through a store and had to look over my shoulder because of the color of my skin. I, I will never understand that. I have never in America walked down a street in a hoodie and have been assessed as a threat just because of my stature, my size, and what I was wearing. I have never experienced that. I am limited. I have to admit that I am limited in my experience. I have to admit that I don't understand the other. And the Lord is calling us to listen. And I was listening to a, another executive director of a nonprofit here in Knoxville last night with two African-American ministers in our city. And I was listening to this Zoom call. And, he's, and the, the white gentleman who was hosting his friends his black friends to talk about this and how we can respond in a healthy way. He said, I just want my white friends for a minute to just shut up and listen. That's all. Just shut up and listen. And that, and that was what he said. And I was like, I don't know if I want to say it like that. So I'll quote him instead. <laughs> he, he just asked us to listen. And I think that is a lot of what my friends want us to do right now is to listen. And I'm not supporting illegal activity. I'm not supporting vandalism and destruction of property. I don't think most people in their right mind are supporting that. But I'm trying to understand what has driven people to that much frustration and anger. I want to try to understand. I want to try to hear better. And I want through the lens and the heart of Jesus to know what he is calling me to do with the privilege that I was born with in this nation because I can't shake that. I can't go back and change it as much as they can't change where they came from.
So we have a responsibility in light of all this, in light of one of my best friends I used to have honest conversations with. His name's Jamarcus. And I used to tell him as he would just go with me in and out of the communities where he lived, which were predominantly African-American and where my family was working with a nonprofit ministry. And I, we, I always try to keep conversations honest. And I have them with my staff just this week on, man, here we are with another ministry with white founders going into predominantly African-American communities. The last thing we want is this savior complex. We have one savior and it's not me and it's not the color of my skin. It was a, it was an olive complected gentleman from the Middle East named Jesus. He didn't look like me and he didn't look like them. He doesn't, but he wrapped himself in the skin of a Jewish man and sacrificed his life for all of humanity. So I asked Jamarcus to keep me honest. I ask people around me to make sure that I'm never exploiting someone else for the sake of promoting my own gain, even if it looks like it's ministry, even if it looks like it's under the guise of Jesus in reaching our communities. The last thing I want to do is to have my heart in the wrong place and looking like I'm doing the right thing. So I ask, let's listen. Let's ask our friends to keep us honest. Let's have conversations about this. And I don't know that I'm going to get this process 100% correct. Just like I probably didn't get the process of responding to the pandemic 100% correct. I took in a whole lot of information and I responded to our nomination, responded to our city officials and our state officials. And I did what I felt like was best. And I, and I ask that we give each other grace, but that we must continue in this process, in this journey, that we would listen better, that we would stand with, that we would speak in asking questions and engage and stand for change in something better than normal. They don't want to go back to normal. And we shouldn't want to either. So it is imperative from understanding the image of God and his likeness that there is this idea that God has given human characteristics, not as if he's speaking about himself anthropomorphically. He's not given human characteristics to himself, but instead he's given divine characteristics to us. There are aspects of his nature in him that we now bear. And I was listening to a uh, video this week of, again, I'm just trying to listen to good voices, not to bad ones. I'm trying to vet your sources, know what they stand for, and try to listen to the other well. And so I was listening to Randall from This Is Us, right? Sterling Brown was talking about an experience he had when he went for a jogging growing up as a African-American man in a predominantly white industry of the filmmaking industry. And he said, he said, even from the founding of our nation, he says, I have to, I have to ask that we own the fact that the pursuit of life, liberty, of, of, of what was given for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness was given for all humanity. But yet it wasn't given to me because I wasn't considered human. That's what he said. He said, I was considered property. And that's the way it was written from our foundation, that I was considered property. And it wouldn't be until Jim Crow laws, he said, that I would be considered three-fifths. My black and brown friends, they're not three-fifths human. They're not three-fifths the image of God. And the Lord's asking us to do something about this paradigm in a healthy way, to listen, to engage, to not stay silent. They don't need, they don't need us to be their voice, 
They're tired. My black friends are tired. When I talk to them this week, when I look at their posts, my black brothers and sisters, they're just tired. They're tired of leading this thing by themselves. They, they would like to even follow our lead sometime as we walk together, as we stand in solidarity. And so in Genesis 1, 26, if you'll put that up for me, Bruce, thank you. The moral implications of the doctrine of the image of God are apparent in the fact that if humans are to love God, then humans must also love other humans as each is an expression of God. And so right here from the very beginning, you know these verses. Then God said, let us make mankind, which was Adam is the Hebrew word. Literally, Adam, let us make Adam. And let me tell you, Adam wasn't white. He's in the, he's in the Middle East. He had a tan, I bet. He had, he had some color to his skin. He said, let's make him in our image, in our likeness, so that they may listen what man was given to rule over real quick. Fish of the sea. If you want to have dominion over something, if you want to count it as your property, count, count fish. All right. Count birds in the sky. You can own some cattle and some wild animals and all the creatures that move along the ground. And then verse 27, this is where we see diversity in this. And, I love that God adds it. Bruce, would you go to that next verse? It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. This is plural. Male and female, he created them. So we see God's image not not in uniformity, not in one aspect even. And this is where I see God's image. And you've heard me say it. This is why, why is homosexuality even something that would be considered a sin? Because it doesn't represent his image. It is male and female. It is in the diversity of how he has created us. The diversity in our colors of skin, the diversity in male and female that he has created us. And what we were given to have dominion over was never each other. It was never each other. And so when we operate in any type of superiority, we'll see this, that the scripture says we cannot bear the image of Christ. And that's where we love the other. And so the problem lies when we believe to have gained superiority over others in human creation and take on this false godlike complex of power. And the abuse of power and authority, it lies in warped evil identity issues. It is attempts to rectify voids felt from not having completeness and understanding the image of God in each one of us. And my second point, uh, aside from understanding the image of God, is that we would love the other. There are a variety of reasons that when God created something in his own image, it would be it would completely entail more than just man, more than just, it is male and female. It is in the appreciation and the understanding of something outside of itself that we can operate in an aspect of God's nature and image that is beyond us. The idea that God would create something that has his image means that he wants to have relationship outside of his own self-realization, that he wants to have relationship with something else, that he would even prefer us from the foundations of the world that his son would lay down his life for us, that he would live sacrificially. This is an aspect of God's image even. He has done this for all eternity before the foundations of the world. And so we see in Philippians 2, Bruce, if you'll put that up there for me, Philippians 2. The image of God can't be fully appreciated in our uniformity or similarities as much as in our harmonious diversity. 
because it is in our, our differences, in my marriage, in my differences with my wife that I learn, that I grow, that I appreciate. Bree and Elijah may just be figuring this one out. They're like, oh, Lord, I don't know about them differences. <laughs> Appreciating them? No, uh-uh. He needs to get them socks off the floor. You know, I don't do that. That's not the way I am. It's in our differences, even the things that rub us, that irritate us, that can cause us to have appreciation instead of hatred, instead of anger. And so Philippians 2, Paul, I love how he paints this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, Paul says, by being just like that. By being like-minded, verse 2 says. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Verse three, when the rubber starts to hit the road for us in this preferring the other, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourself. This is tough. Because when I first hear the term Black Lives Matter, why would my white friends and myself have an issue with hearing that? Because we think that it will take away value from us. But it It's not a zero-sum game, friends. To be able to say black lives matter is no different than saying all lives matter. It's acknowledging that there's not equality or justice. It is saying we have to swing the pendulum in our understanding and our culture so that we can get back to everyone representing the image of God again. For a value and appreciation that hasn't been given, we've got to shift it. They're not saying white lives don't matter. They're saying, please just hear that we matter too. God has said that all lives matter. And we need to stand with our brothers and sisters by saying, guess what? High in humility can value others even above myself. This is Christ. And in verse four, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. This is where I believe the Lord is challenging me right now. There's a whole movement and I'm not sure I'm a part of it, but I'm just going to tell you about it. It's about voting for the common good. Instead of voting for things that will benefit you, how do I vote in a way that will benefit the common good? How do I vote in such a way? Because that's what we have to use. If you listen to the uh, mayor at Atlanta, she's like, go home, stop burning down your community, get home. If you want to do something that has changed, she said, go and vote on June 9th, go and vote in November, vote for change. But how do I use my voice and my vote to not vote for things that are just going to line my pockets, that are going to benefit my kids down the road, but I vote for something that prefers others, that has these verses in mind, that in humility I actually value others above myself with my vote? That's stepping on my own toes. Can I be honest? I say a lot of things today to hopefully cause you to wrestle and wrestle before the Lord and to plant some seeds and to, and to blow up my board's members' phones about, man, we got to get this guy out of here. Because <laughs> I believe the Lord has given us a moment right now that I hope in six months from now we haven't forgotten that our my black friends aren't having to still lead the charge, that they're not still having to find another issue of injustice. And I don't, please don't make this. I'm hoping that we don't 
allow this moment to just be what it is. Don't find another platform to take. Now's not the time to talk about abortion. Now's not the time to talk about the whites that have been unjustly killed as well. Are all those things that we should stand for and against? Absolutely. But now's not the time to make it about another agenda. Let's just let it be what it's about. Let's just let it be what it's about. That's what my friends are asking for. I think Bruce and Jazz are too scared to even nod. Hopefully they'll be honest with me afterwards if I'm wrong. Because we have to be teachable in this process. We have to be willing to walk in humility. Paul says, be like-minded like Christ. Have the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And I'm asking, Lord, will you help us to go back to something that is better than normal in our culture, in our ways of doing things, in our government, in our systemic, our, our ways that we even... We break down family units with, with our welfare. I mean, there's so many things. God, how can we do better? How can we listen? How can we respond? How can we write policy? But right now, they want more. They're like, hey, it's got to be more than legislate. Like right now, I just need you to hear. Right now, I just need you to try to understand. And when those are the steps that we need to follow down the road. And we need to be a part of that. And my black pastor friends, I heard one of my great friends, Daryl, Pastor Daryl Arnold at OBC this week on a call with nine black pastors from around the nation, most of them from Knoxville, one from Chicago, one from LA. He said, Pastor Daryl said this, he said, the last thing I want right now, he said, my, my white evangelical pastor friends in Knoxville are calling me and they're repenting again and they're through tears telling me how sorry they are. He said, I don't need your tears right now. I need change. I don't need another reconciliation prayer service. I, I need change. I need systemic change. I need to know that my two black sons that Daryl has won't experience what these young men are experiencing when they're 10, 20 years older. I need change. And I grew up in a home that when I was a kid, I was Judah's age, seven, eight years old. We participated with an African-American church and we exchanged families and we would go to their house, a black family's house and eat dinner and interact. And they'd come to our house and we, inter we interacted in this racial reconciliation classes and experiences. And I'm so glad that my family valued that because we can't help but be a product of our experiences and our environment and our culture. And I still can't help that fact. I still am impacted by my culture and what I'm growing up in, in my experiences. I'm still impacted. I can't help but let that be who I have been influenced to become. But the Lord can do a new thing. He can do a new work in our lives to reflect his image with justice and equality in our nation. And this is where I want us to end. With Micah 6, if you'll put that up there that we would advocate for mercy and that we would demand justice. Micah 6, 8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of us? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. And in a sermon like today's, this would be, excuse me, I'm sorry, this would be a common verse that we would hear. Micah 6, 8, right? 
I mean, it's about justice. It's about Old Testament ethical religion. And in James 1, 27, though, would, would reiterate this by saying, hey, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after those who can't look after themselves, orphans, widows, and their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by worldly ways, by the ways that you're surrounded by. And I'm afraid that we have pigeonholed what is in the orphan and widow category and have been influenced by the ways of our world. And now's the time that we would act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. Because whoever claims to love God, 1 John 4.20 says, but yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. It is of the greatest hypocrisy to confess love for God whom we have not seen while show disdain or hate for those whom he has created in his own image whom we do see. Micah isn't saying, hey, stop sacrificing. They have no place. They, you know, they won't lead to forgiveness or some means of salvation, which is true. But rather Micah is saying, no, your sacrifice is useless in and of themselves if your, pro- if your relationships to God aren't reflected in your relationship with your neighbor. He said, those sacrifices are useless. They literally have no fruit. If, if your proper relationship to God isn't reflected in your relationship to your neighbor, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. That's what he's asking of us right now. He's never been impressed with lip service. He wasn't with Israel and that's what he's saying. And I don't know if Benjamin Franklin really said this or not. He's accredited with saying it since 2001. Who knows? I couldn't, I couldn't vet it, but the quote is good. And it says, justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. As those who are not affected, but we have the same passion about change and justice as those that are affected that we prefer the other is what Paul would tell us, that in humility, that we would prioritize those around us and serve well. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Jesus would say in Matthew 23, 23. He would say, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. You have neglected, though, the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, in faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former, he says. And so God is calling to us out of a life of faith and values in a biblical worldview to stand in a bold manner that we can't stand by or be silent. He's not interested in our forms and our figures, our religious jargon. Our habits do not bring him joy when we blindly ignore what Jesus considers to be the weightier matters. Jesus wants us to love God and love others and to do it through the power of his spirit. That as Colossians 3.10 would say, we put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. There is no place for racism in the kingdom of God. There is no Gentile or Jew, Paul would say, circumcised or uncircumcised. I would say white or black, Farragut or East Knoxville, because as Colossians 3.11, he says, but Christ is all and is in all. We have to stand to demand justice. So what are some steps that we can take? Because I know I've been pretty passionate this week and 
There's been a, even my own family. I've, I've, I've gotten under their skin a little bit with uh, my brother and I've said some things in passion, but maybe not compassion. But what are some things that we can do as we're wrestling with this together? First, we can listen with our ears and then we can use our minds and our hearts to process and to not only think, but to feel what they have for so long and respond with our mouths. After we have listened with both ears, we can use our one mouth and our hands and our feet in a way that is appropriate and responsible to the measure of freedom that we have received to right the wrongs and bring justice about, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. I hope this isn't something that we just focus on for a few weeks or even for a brief moment in our social feeds, but instead we make it a priority and a part of our own ongoing conversation until change is realized. Let's use our words. Let's use our ears. And I read again this week the, the speech of Martin Luther King from the capital of our country. I read, I have a dream this week again, just thinking about some of the great leaders that have stood for equality and justice. And I wish that our this generation had a leader right now. I wish there was a leader that could, could unite. Will we be a part of this movement? In his speech from that capital, he called for, he called it a promissory note that all people, white, black, male, female, would be able to be guaranteed what the promissory note of this nation is founded upon, the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And he was not able to see his dreams fulfilled. People are still judged by the color of their skin rather than the conduct or character. But join me, church in acting with justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with our God and our brothers and our sisters and those who are created in his image that don't look like us. Join me for something better than what always has been, regardless if it directly benefits you or not. Join me in calling others out on injustice, jokes that discriminate, conversations that alienate. Let's become more than just a response, but a movement. Join me in putting your faith in action. Something better for more normal. Something that it can truly be for all because his image is in all of us. Would you pray with me? Father, this has been a difficult thing to navigate, to talk through, but I hope that we can all have open hearts and open ears to wrestle with things that irritate us, that bother us, that just make us uncomfortable because things aren't right, because things don't reflect your image in all of us. God, I pray that you would help me continue to navigate and to listen to my brothers and sisters and what they are saying and what they are asking for and to discern their experiences and thus some of their responses, not condone, but to understand. God, help us to have hearts of compassion that remove blinders, that when we assume that we, like I did, that I never, I'm not racist, I've, you know, this is my experience. And, but God, that it doesn't keep me from trying to lean in and to listen and to learn and to grow and to even be a part of something that is uncomfortable and doesn't directly benefit me, but puts someone else ahead of myself and is represented Jesus of you, of your image in all of us. This is uncomfortable for me. But God, we want your kingdom's ways to come to earth as they are in heaven. Help us discern heaven's ways. 
Help us to discern your true nature. Jesus, I thank you that at home and in here in person, Lord, you are challenging us. God, I pray that you will change us and help the changes that are happening in our heart to be put into action with the habits that we're going to now create. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your tenderness and compassion. Thank you for the unity that we experience in your spirit. Thank you that we can start coming back together and worshiping together. Thank you that our youth can start meeting again this week. Thank you for all these things that you're doing. Thank you for the people that have come through this pandemic and have seen their faith grow. Thank you that they are taking the opportunity of the season that we're walking through and not allowing it to be wasted, but are saying, God, you can do something great. You can do something new. Lord, let my heart be open and let my habits change. And Lord, I pray that we will embrace what you're doing in this hour. I pray that we will hear what you are saying. We will understand through the scripture, your likeness is being born in the earth and that is your kingdom coming. Help us to stand for that. Help us to know that those that brought change like John the Baptist and Jesus and Moses, that they were not wildly accepted, that the religious hated them, that they didn't understand them. Lord, but help us to walk in humility with our God. We embrace what you're doing, Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen.